Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 182. Today, we are going to be looking at the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley, which has been a case that has been on our minds for a long time, way before I even started making true crime content on YouTube or yeah, you were still in IT. When we yeah, first... we were just like watching mm-hmm. one of the ID shows, I think. Yeah, and this one just really stood out to us and always intrigued me. It was one of the first cases that I ever covered. And we wanted to take another look at it today and, you know, see if, what updates there have been, if there have been any, and go over our thoughts and theories because this is one of those cases where the possibilities are kind of endless. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's so many different ways that this one could have shaken out and the fact that she could still be out there too Mm -hmm. is reason to keep it alive you know and keep and to keep talking about it because it's one of those cold cases that i feel could be solved one day i think Mm -hmm. there's a possibility that amy is still out there and alive and potentially you know we could find her one day or find Mm -hmm. out what happened to her well the fbi is still making it a priority it's still a case that they are working on all the time to this day 20 plus years later so so yeah can't believe it's been 20 years that this family has had no answers about what happened to amy or where she is before we get into the episode though i just want to quickly make an announcement about higher love wellness our cbd and wellness company Mm -hmm. we recently rolled out international shipping to a few countries we're working on some more we know there's a lot of you in canada but unfortunately canada has it very locked down when it comes to anything cbd hemp related so we're not able to ship to you guys yet maybe one day yeah that's a bummer it really is tried really hard to make canada work but it's just not it's not feasible unfortunately and unfortunately we'd have to find a partner that is inside of canada to Mm -hmm. to work through and just it's kind of out of the realm of possibility for us right Mm -hmm. now but hopefully in the future we'll be able to get get our products up to canada but we do have a few new countries that we can ship to and we're really happy about this Because, you know, CBD is something that is fairly new to the world. I think the average person is just learning about it. And so they're still catching up the laws, you know. Definitely. I mean, a lot of countries look at it as a drug, unfortunately. But there are a few that we will be able to ship to. The biggest one being the United Kingdom, which is really cool. Because I know there's a lot of you guys out there who are have been really interested in our products and want to try it. And I'm happy to say that we'll be able to ship to Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, and Wales. So if you live in any of those countries or just in the UK, you can definitely purchase our products now, which is awesome. And then we've got New Zealand and Mexico that are available right now. Um, Unfortunately, we looked into Australia and Australia has very strict uh, import laws when it comes Mm -hmm. to CBD. Hopefully that will change soon because, yeah, that's a big bummer that we can't ship into Australia right now. But hopefully, you know, things change. The governments are constantly updating laws and regulations Mm -hmm. around it. So hopefully you guys will be able to participate in the CBD goodness here soon. Yes. And just a reminder, our products are 100% THC free. They are purely CBD. They have no psychoactive effect. They won't get you high. They are purely medicinal and great for anxiety. So, yeah, we're really excited to be able to ship to our friends across the seas. Some of you, you know, for now. For now. Yeah. But we'll we'll definitely update you guys as more countries become available. But again, that's higherlovewellness.com. And if you use code HOMIES, you can get 10% off of your order. That's right. But this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Pendulum, HelloFreshStamps.com, Hunt a Killer, and Simply Safe. Kendall did have a little update to a topic oh, we covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it was probably 
I don't even know when we talked about this story last. But yeah, when did we talk about it was at this least last? like a, probably see. a few months ago is my guess. I'd say at least six months ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Back when we used to do intro topics. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> if you remember those days. Yep. So Jetpack Man, back in the news today, FBI has come out with a little update saying they may have solved the mystery of the Jetpack Man flying mm. around LAX. So over this summer, air traffic control reported possible Jetpack Man in sight. And officials warned other flights to be on the lookout for what they were saying was a man in a jetpack. <laughs> and obviously we had a lot of thoughts on this, some theories. But today when we are recording this, Tuesday, November 2nd, the FBI released a statement saying that the so-called jetpack man may have just been some balloons. What the hell? Yeah. No. Come on. <laughs> Wait, let's just let's just hear There's him no. out. Hear him out. Okay. So they said that they think that it might be a balloon of Jack Skellington from the nightmare before Christmas. What? Yeah. Shut up. There's a photo actually of this balloon flying over the Hollywood Hills. And they're saying that that's what they believe it could have been. They're not saying for sure, but they their theory is that pilots may have just seen the balloon. So they think these balloons just like drifted into the landing approach routes for planes. And that's what planes were seeing. I guess so. I mean, it really makes no sense. It's a kind of a strange theory, especially when you look at the video. So we will overlay the footage of the jetpack man that was taken and you guys let us know if you think this looks like a balloon of Jack Skellington. I don't even believe that. I feel like this is just something to give the public so that it seems like they're they're doing something. But that that to me doesn't match up. But apparently there's been former pilots, things like that, who comment on on the news who have said mm -hmm. that it does kind of line up with what pilots have been reporting. But I feel like really this is all just about a balloon. Who's who's like releasing balloons near the airport? I mean, balloons that can be taken by the wind and move quick, but it just doesn't seem to move like it's a, not floating like a balloon. No, though. you know, they kind of tumble and kind of like moves up versus this kind of like moving. See that? Yeah, it's like moving sideways. Plus, multiple pilots mm. reported it as a jetpack. I've man. never seen a balloon move like Me that either. That's so still like you'd think it'd be flailing around. But or... the thing about it, though, is that I don't see any sort of propulsion coming off of the jetpack. Right. Yeah, that's my only that was thing, one thing is that said from the beginning. Too. There's no like. There, you should see some sort of propulsion But it's possible that this camera is just not it. picking That's it up. That's true, too. It could be too far away. It could be not noticeable because it's just a jetpack. Yeah. So it's only one theory. The mystery it could continues. still be a time traveler. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a time traveler. So I guess that will remain a mystery for now. But let's go ahead and get into the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. So Amy was born on May 12th, 1974 in Petersburg, Virginia. She grew up in Chesterfield, Virginia, with her younger brother, Brad, and her parents, Ron and Iva. Iva describes Amy as a focused person, a natural leader, and an energetic fireball in her childhood years. Her brother, Brad, is two years younger than her, and the two of them had an incredibly close bond. Her friends and family often said that Amy had the biggest, kindest heart, and she was a very confident and outgoing young woman who was always making sure that no one felt left out, that everyone felt appreciated. Amy loved to do karaoke. She would frequently visit a karaoke club with her friends. She befriended a couple with disabilities at the club who told Amy's parents that she always made sure that they had a spot at her table. One time, their family was out to dinner together when Amy spotted a Vietnam War veteran eating alone. And Amy immediately invited this man to eat with her and her family. And he was just incredibly touched by the way that Amy had welcomed him with open arms. 
Amy was also very athletic in high school. Both she and her brother, Brad, lettered and made the varsity team in five sports each. That's impressive. Yeah, very impressive family. And of all the sports that she played, basketball was definitely Amy's favorite. She was a very talented and passionate player. Amy also had multiple tattoos and piercings, the most notable being her first tattoo, which was a tattoo she designed herself of the Tasmanian devil, baby Taz, spinning a basketball on her left shoulder blade. And she got that senior year of high school. So obviously, with how talented she was, multiple colleges gave her scholarship offers. But she decided to attend Longwood University on a basketball scholarship, and it was only an hour away from Chesterfield. And she loved that because she was so close with her family. While at Longwood, Amy was on both the swim team and the basketball team, and she was also working towards a degree in physical education. She graduated in 1996, and as a graduation present, her parents gave her an English bulldog named Bailey that she absolutely adored. In 1997, Amy moved into a new apartment in Chesterfield and worked at a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And she loved being so close to her family and went grocery shopping with her mom all the time, spent tons of time at their house. And also around this time, Amy had a pretty steady boyfriend. Amy was very excited to begin her post-college future. She planned to pursue a master's degree in sports psychology or start her own sports bar. And around this time, she was also preparing to start a full-time marketing assistant job at her aunt's computer consulting firm, and she was very excited about this. And she was also getting ready to adopt an English bulldog named Daisy. So she had a lot to look forward to, and her brother recalled that this was one of the happiest times in her life, and one of the happiest he had ever seen her. So that brings us to March of 1998. Amy's parents called her and told her that her father had won a yearly sales contest from the insurance company that he worked for, Illinois Mutual Life, and the company wanted to send Ron and his wife on a week-long, all-expenses-paid cruise through the Caribbean. So obviously they were super excited and they wanted their kids to come, so they decided to pay for the kids' airfare and cruise tickets so that they could join them. The ship that the Bradleys would be traveling on was the Royal Caribbean cruise liner named Rhapsody of the Seas. The planned route for this cruise was to depart from San Juan, Puerto Rico, then stop in Aruba, then go to Curacao, St. Martin, St. Thomas, and then return back to Puerto Rico. Their planned departure date was March 21st, 1998, and the return date was supposed to be March 28th. And actually, Amy was a bit unsure about the cruise. She was a little weirded out by the whole thing. And her family was pretty surprised that she was so apprehensive about joining them because she was a former lifeguard and she was an assistant swim team captain at Longwood. So naturally, she's a very strong swimmer. However, the deep ocean made her feel anxious and uneasy. And I totally get that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the idea of getting Mm -hmm. on this massive boat and then traveling across the wide open ocean can be a bit overwhelming yeah definitely especially if you're if you've never been on a cruise before i feel like everybody it's kind of like that anxiety you get before you go on a plane for the first time Mm -hmm. like you're just like uneasy about it you're like how safe yeah you've never been on a cruise before well i went on a mini cruise that does not count babe no it was no it was i went on a a little groupon thing for two days bahamas (laughs) like two-day cruise yeah no that that was a I did I was not on like a that. Really old, sketchy boat. That was actually pretty creepy. Honestly, not gonna lie. It, yeah, <laughs> Remember was, the sounds? It on was the boat? very creepy and very like. At one point, we thought we were oh. going down. It was scary. <laughs> like the sound was so loud of the engine in the morning, it would like oh, shake God. all the rooms. Yeah, the, <laughs> it was wild. The boat had definitely seen better days for sure. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, I will nuts. say though, when you're on a cruise and you wake up 
and you look out your window or your balcony or whatever and it's just nothing but water yeah. like it is a very yeah surreal feeling and you're locked yeah, on board with like, all these random people and i personally like cruises well i haven't oh, been on them yeah. in a long time yeah i was gonna but. say i don't think i've been on one since i was in middle school yeah. i'm pretty sure and i don't think i had enough thought capacity to really look out and think about the ocean and you it's know what could happen wild. but i think i would have a lot more reservations if i was going on a first-time cruise as an adult so i totally see where amy was coming from well and yeah and like the rhapsody of the seas is like a floating city yeah. too so it's a massive i mean yeah. two thousand plus passengers yeah. on that boat yep. so it's you know there's a lot of people kind of packed into i guess it doesn't feel quite, like you guys didn't feel like crammed no. on it did you like it feels spacious the not that i remember yeah, i don't think i ever felt crammed or anything mm -hmm. That's but we were very small that's yeah, little, we were everything we were little kids. Big to you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, you would think like, oh, there's a zillion people on this ship, yeah. but the ships are fucking huge. Yeah, like, they're, they're massive. Huge. They have tons of levels, so people are really scattered. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not as crammed as you would think, at least in my experience, mm -hmm. especially with these big boats. But after more consideration, Amy did end up agreeing to join her family on the cruise. And as their date of departure got closer, her fear really started turning into excitement. She ended up dyeing her short bleached blonde hair brown, got her nails done, and spent three weeks using tanning beds in preparation for the trip. And the night before they left, she had dinner with her mom and her Aunt Mary, and she showed off her new look to the two of them and just went on and on about how excited she was about this trip. On March 21st, 1998, Amy and her brother departed from Richmond International Airport on a flight to San Juan, connecting through Miami. Their parents had actually departed an hour earlier on a separate flight and would meet them at the airport. The two arrived in San Juan and met up with their parents, and Amy decided to write postcards for her friends, and she actually bought 15 rolls of film for a photo contest before the family departed for the ship. And on one of the postcards, it just read, Hey girl, it's gorgeous here. We leave for Aruba tomorrow. Take care. I'll be home Saturday at 10. See ya, Amy. When the family finally arrived at the dock, Amy actually told her brother that she was already having the time of her life. I assume because she was shopping and checking out all the yeah. things at the port. I mean, it's pretty exciting when yeah. you get ready to board a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. It wasn't long before the whole family boarded the Rhapsody of the Seas and the ship embarked towards its first stop, which was Oranistad, Aruba. The Rhapsody of the Seas was a new cruise liner that could hold 765 crew members and 2,435 guests. The 75,000-ton ship was 11 stories high, nearly 1,000 feet long, and over 100 feet wide. After the ship set sail, the family enjoyed some quality time together, eating dinner, sipping some cocktails, and just chilling by the pool. The whole day, Amy avoided the edges of the boat, though. Brad actually invited her to look over the railing at the water below, but Amy told him no as she was afraid of heights. And on the next day, March 22nd, the ship continued to sail towards Aruba, and Amy and Iva attended an art auction, and the family continued to just relax and unwind together. On the morning of March 23rd, the Rhapsody of the Seas docked in Aruba, which is a Dutch Caribbean island nation near Venezuela. And the Bradleys had been enjoying the journey so far and were ready for another great day of vacation. The family took a group photo before they disembarked together from the ship. The family shopped around for a bit once they got off and rented a jeep to explore the island of Aruba. And after some sightseeing, a quick lunch, and a beach visit, the family returned to the ship. They then changed into formal wear and then headed down to dinner. There they had their pictures taken by the ship's photographer while they waited in line. And after the family enjoyed their dinner, Amy and Brad went back to their room to change clothes, grab some money before heading to the casino. 
Iva and Ron stayed back to have some drinks with some of Ron's business associates. But while Ron and Iva chatted with their friends, a waiter approached them and asked Iva where Amy was. Iva had noticed that this waiter had actually been paying a ton of attention to Amy throughout the cruise. And when she asked the waiter why he wanted to know where her daughter was, the waiter said that he and some other crew members wanted to take her out to Carlos and Charlie's, a bar in Aruba. And Ron thought that this request was a bit odd as well. Iva went to collect the photos that the ship's photographer had taken before dinner, and she noticed that all of the pictures of her daughter were missing. And when she asked the photographer where they were, he told her that he was sure he displayed the photos with the other photos he had actually taken. That's so sketch. Very sketch. After the trip to the casino, Amy and Brad met up with their parents on the pool deck, where Iva gave her the waiter's message. And Amy looked at her and said, they're creepy, and I'm not going anywhere with them. Just gave me chills. Yeah, very weird. The family drank and danced together on the deck while the ship's band, the Blue Orchid, played calypso music. Brad also participated in a limbo contest and actually won. And Brad was dancing with a woman during the band's performance when her husband grabbed him and told him off. Brad apologized and said he didn't know that this woman was married. Yikes. So Brad said that the band, Blue Orchid, had actually boarded the ship in Aruba with a dance group and that the ship had hired them to perform on board. The ship had also hired a videographer, Chris Fenwick, to put together a promotional video using clips from the cruise. So Chris recorded various shots of guests partying throughout the night, including a clip of the Blue Orchid's performance. Throughout the night, Amy was seen chatting with the members of Blue Orchid, but she was seen mostly talking with the bass player, Alistair Douglas, who was a heavyset man from a city in the Caribbean called Granada. Alistair actually went by the nickname Yellow, and Iva thought that Yellow kind of looked like trouble to her. According to her, Amy had told Brad that the band's bassist was hitting on her and that he was, quote, a real jerk. So around 1 a.m. that night, the ship departed for Curacao, and Ron and Iva told their kids that they were tired and wanted to go to bed. So they decided to turn in for the night. They kissed both of them goodnight and then returned to their room. Also around 1 a.m., Brad said that he saw Amy chatting with two women that he believed could have been members of the Church of Scientology. However, investigators looked into this and they could not confirm this claim. Amy and Brad decided that they wanted to stay out longer and continue to party. So they headed to the Viking Lounge, which is the ship's onboard dance club. So Chris, the onboard videographer, happened to be recording the dance floor that night and took multiple videos where Amy can be seen dancing with Yellow. In the first video, Amy and Yellow were dancing and facing each other. And in the second video, Amy was dancing by an elevator behind the crowd. And in the third and fourth videos, Amy and Yellow are seen dancing again, but this time they are much closer together. And Amy is kind of grinding on Yellow while he is holding one of her hands. So Yellow claimed that he and Amy parted ways for the night at the dance club around 1 a.m. He stated that he headed towards the staff elevator and did not see where she went after that. Around 2.45 a.m., Ron woke up and saw that the kids hadn't returned to the room yet. He went to the dance club to look for them, and he found Brad on the first floor dancing with a group of young women. He also saw Amy on the second floor talking to some band members and the club's DJ. So after he saw the kids, he decided to return back to the room and you know, felt like they would be coming up shortly. At 3.35 a.m., the ship's electronic lock system actually had records of Brad entering the room. Five minutes later, Amy returned to the room as well, and the two of them smoked and talked on the balcony, and Amy actually mentioned to Brad that she wanted to purchase cigarettes in Curacao that day. 
Ron woke up while the two were talking and asked Amy to turn off the bathroom light. Brad then told his sister that he was going to go to sleep, and Amy told him that she needed to stay out on the balcony and get some fresh air because she felt like she had a little bit of motion sickness. At 5.30 a.m., Ron woke up and saw his daughter's legs in the balcony's lounge chair, and Ron figured that she had just fell asleep out there, so he returned to bed. Around this time, the ship had begun docking in Curacao. At 6 a.m., Ron woke up again, and this time, he saw that Amy was gone. The balcony was empty, and its sliding glass door was halfway opened. Her cigarettes and lighter were missing, though, and Ron also noticed that the shirt she was wearing all night was sitting on a chair inside of the room. It had also appeared Amy had changed out of shorts and into jeans. All of the shoes that Amy had brought on the trip were also still in the room, meaning that wherever she took off to, she was barefoot. Amy also never left places without telling anyone or at least leaving a note behind of where she was going, so this started to worry Ron a little bit. He figured his daughter was up taking pictures or maybe lounging on the deck, so he immediately went up there to check and he began searching for her, but he couldn't locate her. Two college students reported seeing Yellow and Amy riding up to the dance club in the ship's glass elevator at around 6 a.m. that day. The students then claimed that they saw Yellow leave the dance club without her about 15 minutes later. Another witness at the club reported seeing Yellow buy Amy a dark-colored drink sometime around 6 a.m. Ron continued to search the other parts of the ship, but there was absolutely no sign of her anywhere. And around 7 a.m., he returned to the room and told Iva that Amy was missing. And then the two of them immediately went to the office of the ship's head administrator to report that Amy was missing and that they suspected that foul play was involved. Before we get into the search for Amy, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So Ron and Iva went back to the administrative office to beg the staff to help them find Amy. They asked them to play an announcement over the loudspeaker, which totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the staff initially refused telling them that it was too early to disturb the other guests. So finally, after begging them for quite some time, at 7.50 a.m., a staff member used the loudspeaker to request that Amy Bradley return to the administrative desk. The ship's staff had been preparing to lower the gangplank and allow passengers to disembark into Curacao. Ivan Ron pleaded with the staff not to let any passengers leave the ship, fearing that if someone had kidnapped Amy, this would give them the opportunity to sneak her off of the boat before they could actually thoroughly search the boat for her. And when they asked this, the crew refused. At this particular time, Royal Caribbean did not keep a record of when guests left the ship, only when they boarded again. That's wild. So if they had done what they do now, where I believe they keep record of Mm -hmm. who leaves the ship. They should. And who comes back on, then that could have probably stopped this whole kidnapping from ever happening in the first place. And there was just a lack of you know, urgency from the ship it, from the beginning. It's not like they were communicating to all staff members. Right. Clearly Keep an enough eye out. Yeah. What was going on? Meanwhile, Brad went to the pool deck to wait and see if Amy walked by. Brad claims that yellow then approached him and apologized about what had happened to his sister and that he said he felt guilty, which Brad obviously found that this was bizarre and very sketchy that yellow should have had no idea what was going on with Amy at this point. And the fact that he already knew that Amy was missing has definitely raised some red flags for him. Staff told the Bradleys to wait in their room for the chief security officer, Lou Costello. And after he arrived, he asked some questions about Amy and requested a photo of her. And Brad said that he thought that Lou smelled like bourbon, which is great. Drunk security officer. Yeah. From 1215 to 1 p.m., security searched the ship's common areas and crew areas for Amy. 
but they didn't search passenger rooms or other areas of the boat. That's wild. When you have a missing person, you'd think you would search every room because yeah. that's most likely if she was right. taken by somebody where mm-hmm. they would have kept her. Their room, of course. Why would they keep her somewhere where like, you know, any staff member could walk in and, mm-hmm. and see her in there? Yeah. After they did this search, they then returned to the Bradleys and said, we searched the entire ship thoroughly and we did not locate Amy. Again, Ivan and Ron wanted security to make a shipwide announcement that Amy was missing. They also asked the ship's captain to have the staff distribute flyers with Amy's picture to all passengers. But the captain refused and said that he wasn't going to upset the guests. Mm. So it was really about just keeping the guests happy as opposed to finding their missing daughter. Profit over everything else. So the captain ended up telling her family that he firmly believed Amy was somewhere in Curacao and he advised them to make the decision to just get off the ship and search for her themselves. And their family was already getting so frustrated dealing with this crew and the lawyer from Royal Caribbean. So at 5.30 p.m., the Bradleys decided to disembark from the ship and go search for Amy themselves in Curacao. And they were joined by Mike McCord, who is the president of Ron's company. And he actually paid for a hotel room for them in Curacao. And then an hour later at 6.30 p.m., the ship departed from Curacao to St. Martin without the Bradleys. They stayed in Curacao to continue their search for Amy. It seemed like their best hope. And they were incredibly distraught, just couldn't even believe that this was happening to them. Ron was so upset that he began to vomit blood. I just can't imagine the fear, the panic, especially being in a foreign country. Yeah, exactly. You know, going on this trip as a vacation, have fun and relax. And Mm -hmm. they were until Amy disappeared. And now it's just pure panic. And I know for things to change like that on a dime, this is one of the happiest times of her life. They're so happy to be spending time together and truly getting to relax paid for vacation. And then this happens. Yeah. Unbelievable. So March 25th at 6 AM, the authorities in Curacao began their multiple day air search and sea search missions for Amy. And at this point she had been missing for 24 hours. They used radar planes, helicopters, warships, cargo ships, and fishing boats in their search. The Bradleys then contacted the FBI and flew to St. Martin, which was the ship's next stop. And at 7.30 a.m. on March 26, they reboarded the boat and demanded to speak to the captain. Now, since the ship was in international waters, the case is a bit more tricky. The family had to ask Royal Caribbean's permission to allow FBI agents on board the ship, and the Royal Caribbean agreed to let two agents on. They boarded with search dogs and interviewed the Bradleys. They were able to get staff to begin passing out photos of Amy to passengers and alert them that she had been missing for over 24 hours. On March 27th, the Bradleys left the ship in St. Thomas, and the next day, the Rhapsody of the Seas returned back to San Juan, and the Bradleys flew back to Richmond, Virginia, heartbroken. On March 29th, Curacao authorities ended their search and reported that they did not find any signs of Amy. A month later, Amy's family posted a heartbreaking plea for Amy's return on their website. It said, The family of Amy Lynn Bradley, who has been missing since March 24th, 1998, from the cruise ship Rhapsody of the Seas, as it arrived at port in Curacao, would like to make the following plea. Please let Amy go. Blindfold her and leave her somewhere safe at night, unharmed. She doesn't know who you are and only wants to be with her family in her country. We will ask no questions. You will remain unknown. Please let Amy go. Just desperation yeah. at this point. Just... I really can't imagine. How How do you ever go on with your life from there? 
You really can't. You can't. I mean, you can't move on without no. that missing piece. And it, it totally destroyed their family. So a month after the cruise, in April of 1998, the family returned to Curacao to resume their search. While they were there, a taxi driver in Curacao told the family that on the day that she went missing, Amy approached his taxi looking very upset and asked him where she could find a phone. The taxi driver left after pointing her in the direction of the nearest payphone. But while they were there kind of combing the streets, Brad said that he heard with 100% certainty Amy's voice yelling his name. And the family started looking around because they thought it was coming from a car. And they ended up, I think, walking over to the car they thought it was coming from. And there was just, you know, somebody in there driving. There was no Amy in there, but obviously. Brad was just shocked by that because he felt like he really heard her voice. And, you know, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to say because, I mean, mm-hmm. when you're searching for somebody, you're, yeah. you're you know, you, your mind might make you think you're hearing things yeah. that aren't actually there. But maybe he did. They're also in a terrible mindset, too. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't help. Yeah. But after searching Curacao pretty extensively, Ron and Brad finally left. And on the day they were flying back to Virginia, they received a call from Iva who told them investigators in Curacao had actually found a body and they thought it was Amy's. And they said at first investigators told her that it was a woman, that this body had brown hair and that they were pretty sure it was Amy. So she was completely devastated, said she felt sick immediately and that's not actually anything close to what they actually found. It turns out that they had actually only found a few fragments of bone that belonged to a man. So nothing like what they had originally told Iva. So she was just devastated going through all of that. And then, you know, kind of accepted that this really might be her daughter and then found out, you know, it's a man. It has so nothing to do up, with man. their case. But they were happy that they could still hang on to hope and had a feeling that Amy was alive somewhere out there. And in August of 1998, they got a very interesting tip from a Canadian tourist named David Carmichael, who had visited Port Mari, which is a beach in Curacao. And he claimed that he saw Amy on that beach with two aggressive men. David said that he believed Amy heard him speaking in English and that she began quickly walking towards him. And then he noticed one of the men with Amy glared at her and the men quickly shuffled her away to a nearby cafe. David saw Amy at the cafe with these men and noticed her occasionally glancing over at him. And after a few drinks, Amy left with the two men. Now, of course, we don't know for sure that this was Amy, but the FBI believes this is the most credible lead that they have gotten. Now, David didn't think that much of this whole thing and he didn't report it because he wasn't aware of amy's case at the time but then he was watching an episode of unsolved mysteries in the 90s and saw amy on the episode and he recognized her face immediately and her tattoos especially the one on her shoulder blade of baby taz after he reported what he saw and got in touch with the bradley family he actually flew out to richmond to meet with them multiple times Then in 1999, a former Navy petty officer reported that he saw Amy in a brothel in Curacao. And at first, he didn't report this either because you're not really supposed to be doing that when you are in the Navy. But once he heard about Amy's case, he felt like he had really seen her. He stated that when he was at this brothel, a woman that looked just like Amy approached him, told him her name, and said that she desperately needed help. He told her that there was a nearby Navy ship that could help her if she needed help, but she explained to him that she wasn't able to leave. The woman cried and begged for him to help, but he ended up leaving the brothel without her and didn't report this for a long time. 
Now, at this point, the Bradley family was pretty frustrated with the FBI's handling of the case, and they felt like they weren't doing enough. So they began to raise money to hire some mercenaries or private soldiers to bring Amy home in 1999. And later that year, the Bradleys received an email from a man named Frank Jones, who claimed to be a Navy SEAL. He told the family that a local cook in Curacao had identified Amy by her tattoos and even heard her singing a lullaby that Iva taught her as a child. Frank also claimed that this woman told him that Amy was being held in Curacao on a compound full of trafficked women, which was guarded by an army of Colombian men. Frank also told the Bradleys that he had sent men down to Curacao to find her. And over the course of several months, Frank gave the family updates about her whereabouts and repeatedly claimed to be sending more of his men to rescue her. The Bradleys frequently sent money to Frank to fund his search. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that they were sending. They really, as they said, put all their eggs in this basket, feeling like this was the strongest lead that they had and the best chance they had of finding Amy. Which, I mean, this information sounds like it could be legit. It sounds like this could, in fact, be the situation that's going on there. And because Mm -hmm. this is another country, I think that they felt like the FBI wasn't going to go in there and just Mm -hmm. like bust down the door and and retrieve their daughter. So I I can see why they went this route. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is kind of, you know, a a very different way of going about it. But it feels like it was their only option. Yeah, and you become desperate, you know, if there's someone that's telling you they know where she is and they know how to get to her. We can can get in there and get her for you for a cost. He also told them that it was time for him to go down there himself and just rescue Amy. And the Bradleys were very happy that he was going to do this. And they asked for a picture proving that their daughter was alive, which Frank later provided. He told them that he needed more money, though, for the rescue operation. The Bradleys sent the money and flew down to Florida on Frank's instructions. So here is the photo that he had sent them. And obviously, they weren't sure that this was Amy. It's very hard to tell, but it did give them a sense of hope. But after a week of waiting, the Bradleys received a call from a former army sniper named Tim, who Frank had hired to watch this house in Curacao. Frank had told both Tim and the Bradleys that it was the house that Amy was being held in. And after days of staking out the house, Tim eventually realized that Amy was not there and that Frank was scamming the Bradley family. That cook who claimed to have seen Amy had been paid by Frank to lie to the Bradleys. And another one of Frank's associates admitted that the two of them staged the proof of life picture that they sent to the Bradleys on the beach in Florida. And they were devastated. It turns out that they had actually staged this photo with some random woman and stenciled Amy's tattoos onto her and had her pose while one of the men stood over her pretending to be her captor. That is just like the worst thing you possibly do. I mean, how evil can you be to take advantage of a family who is heartbroken and desperate? I mean, they had sent this guy thousands of dollars and their family said that what was most painful about all of this is obviously being lied to is just horrific on its own. And the false hope was horrible. But what really broke their hearts was that they had wasted time now, time that they could have been you know, sending someone else down to look for her. They were just completely wasting their time with this guy, Frank. So Frank Jones did end up getting charged with defrauding the Bradleys for $24,000 and again for $186,000 from the missing children's organization. He was ordered to pay their family back, but Brad said that he never paid the family's restitution. And then in 2005, a witness in Barbados claimed to see a woman matching Amy's description in a department store bathroom with three men. 
The witness said that the three men told the woman that she needed to go through with a deal and threaten her before leaving the restroom. When the witness approached the woman, who was visibly upset, she told the witness her name was Amy and that she was from Virginia. The men then re-entered the bathroom and pulled Amy out. The FBI actually released three sketches of the men and the woman the witness had seen. Also in 2005, the Bradleys received an email containing a picture of a woman that looked like Amy. The sender worked with an organization that checked the photos of women posted on escort websites to try and match them with active missing persons cases. The woman in the photo was referred to on the website as JAS or J-A-S and appeared to be a sex worker working somewhere in the Caribbean. The FBI has not been able to locate this woman in the photo, but forensic analysts have said that this woman may in fact be Amy. And she does look very similar. I mean, especially maybe with some weight loss over time or hair grown out. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. Definitely could be Amy. So that just leaves us with the possible theories of what happened to Amy. And we're going to go over that in just a minute. But before we do, we're going to take our last break. As you can probably imagine, Amy's family firmly believes that she did not leave the ship on her own accord. Most theories about her case involve some element of foul play. But one of the theories that is out there is that perhaps she went overboard and drowned. So this theory argues that Amy went overboard between 5.30 a.m. and 6 a.m. on March 24th, either accidentally or intentionally. As Amy had been drinking that night and later felt sick, so some believe that this had something to do with her drowning. The Bradleys strongly deny that either scenario is possible, however. They claim that Amy was very happy with her life and not at all suicidal, and further, they argue that Amy was a very strong swimmer and would have swam to shore that wasn't very far if she had gone overboard. Investigators also do not believe Amy went overboard. They also think that Amy would have probably swam to shore if she did, and the Royal Caribbean has stated that there were no witnesses who reported seeing anyone fall into the water, and since the ship was so close to shore, they eventually would have recovered a body in their searches. So when they, the Curacao authorities did their searches, they searched the water to make sure that she hadn't gone overboard. I mean, they searched it extensively. So mm -hmm. if somebody had fallen overboard and drowned, most likely they would have recovered a body. Yeah. Plus Amy, remember, she didn't even want to go near the edges of Rayleigh, the boat because she right. was so scared. And there's just no way that she would have just jumped overboard to take her own no. life. That, I mean, nope. that's, there's just no way that that is what happened. Yeah. She was in a really great time of her life had so much to look forward to was getting this new dog when she got home had a new job to look forward to she was very happy that she had just graduated right starting a new career i mean just doesn't make any sense no and it's also important to note that when she left the room that morning amy changed her clothes grabbed her cigarettes and had her id in a hundred dollars with her in her pocket so if you were going to go jump overboard or something like mm -hmm. that why would why would you take that or change your clothes but that leads us to foul play, which is pretty obvious that that's the case here. Yeah. But let's take a look at the kidnapping theory. So the family strongly believes that Amy was a victim of foul play and likely at the hands of one of the ship's crew members. They think that she was most likely taken off of the boat into Curacao and sold into sex trafficking. And of course, the first suspect really to come to mind is Yellow because Yellow was seen with Amy many times throughout the night of her disappearance and it seems very likely that he probably was involved in her disappearance. So Royal Caribbean did search Yellow and his band members' rooms at 8 a.m. the day that Amy had gone missing, but they didn't find anything of interest. 
And Yellow was also questioned by the FBI. And he reportedly, this is actually from her father that saw this, he left the room and gave his bandmates a thumbs up and a smile as he walked out. And Ron said it took everything in him to not just go up and yeah. deck this dude. It's like, uh, it's like I got away with it. Yeah. He also was given a polygraph test, which he passed. However, it's important to note that Yellow did take this polygraph test before the FBI received Chris's the videographer's tapes showing Amy and him dancing that night. And the Bradleys said that when they went back to Richmond, they were online and they saw a user's post on a message board for cruise ship passengers that warned women to stay away from Yellow. Ron also claimed other guests told him that Yellow was a womanizer who had tried to force himself on women before. And remember, Amy herself said that he was, quote, a real jerk. Plus, you can't forget that weird comment he made to Brad around 7 a.m. the day that Amy went missing. That, to me, is like the smoking gun in this. Yeah. like the fact that he already knew that, I'm sorry about your sister. Like, what? Yeah. It's very eerie, man. Yeah. I mean, at that point, the only people who were supposed to know about Amy being missing was her family and the administration desk staff. The Bradleys also reported that Amy had spent time with several waiters on the ship. They believe that Yellow or one of the other crew members gained her trust and took her off the boat in Curacao or killed her. They believe that their motivations could, of course, be human trafficking or that maybe Amy had witnessed something. Maybe she had seen them committing some type of illegal activity. Now, the Bradley family feels that Royal Caribbean has botched the investigation of their daughter's disappearance from the very beginning, and they ended up suing them. The most obvious criticisms of the investigation are, of course, how Royal Caribbean handled it from the moment that Amy was reported missing. The crew refusing to act immediately, refusing to make an announcement because they didn't want to upset other passengers or even give out photos of Amy to passengers at first. They were wasting precious time that may have been crucial to finding Amy. And the Bradleys were really angry about it. Of course, the decision to disembark in Curacao, despite the family's concerns and letting people get off the boat without proper searches of the ship, may have allowed possible kidnappers to leave with Amy. Overall, Royal Caribbean searches of the ship came way too late. They were rushed and they were incomplete. They had also asked Royal Caribbean to have security guards at the pool deck watch for any signs of Amy and just have them kind of posted up there. But they never did this. They also said that Royal Caribbean had lied to them when they told them that security searched every nook and cranny of the ship. Royal Caribbean has denied these accusations that they botched the search or committed any wrongdoing. And one of the family's lawyers has accused Royal Caribbean of spreading false rumors to the media that Ron and Brad were involved in Amy's disappearance. Chris, the videographer on board, said that while he was still on the ship, he gave a copy of the tape that contained Yellow and Amy dancing to Mike McCord, who is Ron's, the president of Ron's company. And Mike was really good friends with Ron as well and had been assisting the Bradleys in their search from the beginning. And Mike ended up giving the tape over to the FBI. Chris also said that Lou, the chief of security, called him that same day and insisted that he give him the original tape. Chris refused and said that he'd give the FBI the original tape if they asked him. But Chris had never heard from Lou or the FBI again. Now, of course, sexual assault is one of the most commonly reported violent crimes on cruise ships. The Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act became law in 2010, mandating stricter security and reporting requirements on cruise liners. However, in 1998, crime on cruise ships was not handled nearly as well as it is now. 
International waters and multiple stops in different countries mean that cruise ships weren't necessarily bound to one of the country's set laws. Also, the only police force on these ships were the security staff, which is hired by the company. The companies themselves are almost all based in foreign countries with ships registered outside the U.S., often in countries like Liberia or the Bahamas. There was also a report that was published in 1998 that found that many cruise companies engaged in a pattern of cover-ups in response to reports of onboard crime. And if you're familiar with true crime, I'm sure you've heard of multiple cases where people have gone missing on ships or something has happened, and it's always handled poorly. This report also found that when crew members were accused of crimes, the companies tried to protect their reputation first and foremost rather than investigating. Companies would drop accused crew members off at the next scheduled port, fly them back to their home countries, and send company lawyers to question the victims. Also in this report, one cruise line's former security chief stated that there was kind of an unwritten rule that nobody, including the FBI, were able to be notified in an event of a crime. Instead, victims were able to be bribed or given room upgrades until the legal department could take over. Victims were then often intimidated by company lawyers and threats of legal action. So basically, if the Bradleys hadn't taken matters into their own hands and pushed the staff of the ship, as well as call the FBI, the likeliness of them actually getting help from Royal Caribbean probably would have been very little to none. Or they would have waited to contact the authorities till way later, till the ship actually got back to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, before the investigation even started, which would have only set them back even further. So, I mean, again, this isn't the only instance where crime happens aboard cruise ships and, you know, the appropriate action isn't taken. Ultimately, the Bradley sued Royal Caribbean for negligence and sought $5 million in damages. But after a nasty legal battle with them, the family lost the case. The family also believes the FBI mishandled the case and they believe that they failed to interview potential witnesses, which honestly, I agree with. I feel like they did not go as deep as they could with this, with the witnesses. It's horrible that they lost that case. I just don't understand. There's such clear negligence happening here. Well, at the particular time, I think just mm. there wasn't the the laws or the regulations yeah. that there are now around right. you know security of passengers. That's so sad. Then on March 24th, 2010, which was 12 years after Amy had originally gone missing, Amy was legally declared dead. Of course, no one knows if she actually is, and her family still hangs on to hope, you know, what they have left. But at that point, they legally presumed that she was dead because she had been missing for so long without any signs of her. A jawbone was discovered on a beach in Aruba in 2010, and it was ruled out as a match for Natalie Holloway, but was never tested in Amy's case. However, their family has stated that they are doubtful that this jawbone is hers. In 2017, the FBI released a new flyer with an age progress photo of Amy and a short video description of her case. Their family still tries to hang on to hope. Iva wears a yellow ribbon and a tiny gold angel every day in honor of Amy. Their family has also encouraged the community to show their support by displaying yellow ribbons in their neighborhood. Brad said that one of the hardest things about Amy's disappearance is to see how horribly it has affected his parents. But he did say that the lack of closure that they've had has been actually one of the best things about this case because it allows them to remain hopeful that maybe Amy will be found one day. The Bradley family is still holding on to hope that Amy will come home to them one day or that maybe they can at least get answers about what happened. 
and their family is offering $250,000 for any information that will lead them to Amy. And as of 2021, Amy Lynn Bradley is still missing and her case remains unsolved. And I was hoping when we re-looked into this case that there would maybe be some new information since we last looked at it in, what was that, 2016? And there's really nothing since then, which is just devastating to hear that there have been no updates. But I'm curious what you think, Josh. What's the theory that makes the most sense to you? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that there's crew members or maybe the band members of the Blue Orchid were working for some sort of nefarious operation that was i mean maybe there's been you know more people taken off other ships but i think they were part of an organized operation that targeted her Mm -hmm. and because they you know they knew that she's going to bring in a lot of money for them she's white american woman and Mm -hmm. so they uh yellow was the person that sort of initiated the the operation and they got her to go somewhere with them and where they were able to quickly get her off of the boat. And the fact that they didn't keep track of who left the boat made it very easy for them to likely just walk straight off and nobody even batted an eye and took her to wherever they did on the Island. And then she was sold into sex trafficking. Well, it's pretty obvious that that is likely what happened because they had also talked to her mother and said that they wanted to take her off the boat and take her to this bar. And Amy said that she didn't want to go anywhere with them. She was totally freaked out. So that, that tells you a lot right there. They were trying to get her off that boat so much so that they asked her mom to have to take her. Yeah. And, and to couple with the fact that she'd been up all night, seemingly Yeah, she had been drinking and mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what else, you know, she'd been doing that night, but you know, not not in the best mental state, most likely. So you're kind of hazy, tired, and yeah, you know, probably just just kind of you know she'd been talking to them all night. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, just maybe she misjudged them or their character, and I, I don't know, or they just kind of trapped her. And, well, that's what's so confusing is I don't think she did misjudge them. She said he was a real jerk. It's it, so, she seemed to not want to go anywhere with them and was creeped out by them. She said they were creeping her out. So I, what I'm so confused about is the fact that they she was out on the balcony. How did she end up meeting back up with him in the early morning hours? Yeah. Did they plan to meet back up? Right. Did, it's not like they had cell phones and he could text her and well, maybe make he plans. was like, we'll have like a sunrise thing or that's possible. I mean, it seems like as the night went on, that perhaps the connection she started yeah. feeling more of a connection with yellow may maybe but i don't know the thing that gets me though is amy was so communicative with her parents and brad that i don't think she would have not told him if she had plans to meet up with him later on i mean her and brad were talking on the balcony talking about getting cigarettes the next day she just said she wanted to deal with her motion sickness and relax out there for a bit. But she never mentioned anything about having plans to go watch the sunrise with yellow. And she's the type of person who would have told her family if she was going to go meet up with some random dude on the boat. So how did they get back connected that morning? I think that maybe she went out on her own to go see the sunrise. And then yellow Mm. was there because he gave her that drink at like six in the morning. So maybe he was like, Oh, perfect timing. And who knows what was in her drink? Like Mm -hmm. it could have been, Laced with something, and then she had no ability to make those decisions. And then they Mm -hmm. took her off the ship, and she didn't even know about it. Yeah. And if she was drugged with, you know, GHB or something like that, she can still be moved off the boat and look normal. And you can still go through it. You know, people don't really understand how the date rape drug, as it's called, affects you. You're still able to function. That's how it's designed. 
so you can act normal enough to get off of a boat. They can kind of force you to do what they need you to do and Mm -hmm. still operate. It's not like you're unconscious or unable to move. Mm -hmm. So So I think that's a good theory. You know, that morning drink that definitely could have had something in it. And like maybe she was just, you know, on her own wanting to explore the ship at the early morning hours and people aren't there. It's it's pretty outside in the morning, especially in the middle of the ocean. And she was probably feeling the effects of the liquor from the night before Mm because she was drinking. So maybe she went up there to do some exploring and then ran into yellow. He offered her a drink. She was like, okay, whatever. And then, yeah, you know, and then uh, and again, they were, they were docking. They're already like docking that morning. So they could have been the first ones to get off the boat before even passengers were awake. I mean, they could have gotten off at who knows what time. Yeah. And I'm one, I don't know if that, if there's rules of what time, I know there's yeah. rules that you have to be back on the ship, obviously. So they mm-hmm. don't leave you, but I, I would assume that you can't just because a lot of times uh, cruises dock at like 4 a.m. And yeah. I would assume that they wouldn't allow you to just peace out whenever the fuck you wanted to. Yeah, maybe as a crew member, but yeah, with a passenger. But with a passenger. And also, like, it's not as simple of just opening a door and walking out. Like, they have to put the little walk thingies mm-hmm, down. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a process to let it someone is. off the ship. It's not just literally opening a door and stepping off. Yeah, normally it takes at least like 30 minutes to an hour, to the process of getting yeah. off the boat. So, so I, don't I don't know. That's really strange. I'm surprised in 1998, there's not cameras, mm-hmm. like even like shitty cameras, you know, like, yeah. or like uh, frames, like, you know, how mm-hmm. like a lot of security, mm-hmm. old security cameras would just capture like uh, photo frames yeah. mm-hmm. like that, that they'd even have, like, it seems like the security on the Royal Caribbean boats back yeah, then was like not, trash. Not like up to par. there wasn't, there wasn't anything. There. Yeah. I mean, it seems very likely she was put into human trafficking. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like the most likely mm-hmm. scenario. I mean, I was just looking up statistics and the Caribbean has a major problem with human trafficking, yeah. sex trafficking. It's yep. a multi-billion dollar industry mm-hmm. down there. So it's very likely that that's what happened. But from some proponents out there do say that most of the times these human traffickers target uh, women that are poor or desperate, or it seems very risky for them to go after somebody like Amy, mm-hmm. who is a you know white American, her whole family's there. Mm-hmm and take her from her family like that but yeah. and they did search yellow's room where they claimed to have searched so that's a bit confusing because you know where would amy have been at that point if they did search the room right unless she was handed off to someone else by yellow and then taken off probably at a later time i would assume that yellow wasn't shocked that they were searching her his, his room yeah. or that maybe he heard through the grapevine that people were coming to do a search or maybe he just expected that, yeah, someone's going to come search my room. So we got to make sure that she's not there. Cause that's like the most no obvious place. Like, right. no shit, you're going to search yellow's room, bring her back, you know, to, put yeah. her somewhere else, yeah. put her in a different room. Put, I mean, God, ships have so many closets and weird yep. little corners and nooks and crannies that you could hide someone in. It's so true. You know, who knows? Is it possible that she was killed aboard the boat and taken off? in luggage or thrown overboard at some points like it it could be that she was that she never made it off of the boat alive and more so they just took a body off of the boat Mm -hmm. of course it's possible but why i feel like that's unlikely but why especially with these other sightings i mean the fbi seems to really think that david's tip is spot on that he may have really seen her Mm -hmm. and that's the most credible lead that they have also the woman in the dressing room I mean, 
it really seems like it could have been Amy. Yeah. So most likely she was taken off in some way mm-hmm. and brought into yeah. sex trafficking. I think so. And it, it happens more than you would think. Yeah. And they move them from island to island. They mm-hmm. move them, you know, there's a lot of islands out there in the Caribbean. So you could move them between countries. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's the whole issue of human trafficking is a really frightening one. And the things mm-hmm. that they do and, you know, they give them drugs and things like yeah. that to make yeah. them forget who they are and lose right sense of their identity it's it's kind of kind of crazy honestly i just feel that it's so important for people to hear about cases like this and to be aware when they go on a cruise or any type of vacation even at a resort Mm -hmm. because obviously it's those times where your guard is down the most you're relaxing you're with family you're having fun you're drinking but that's like the perfect time for someone to take advantage of you totally well there was that lady in jamaica at the resort that got like almost beaten to oh, death yes, by, I remember that. by one of the staff members yep. there in a closet or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, yeah. we'd covered that a lot, yeah, like did. a while ago on mile Hard, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it really is just good to keep these, these cases in your mind, especially when yeah. you're, I mean, anytime you're visiting somewhere you've never been before, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know, you don't know the people there. And like you said, there's this false sense of security because you're at a resort and you yeah. see security walking around yeah. and you think, okay, everything's safe, but you never know who could be working there or, you know, what they're capable of. I mean, you have to buddy system, man. Yeah. Buddy system is the the realest way to, or the safest way to maneuver these places. Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a a woman, unfortunately, I mean, that seems women get preyed upon. I mean, men do too, but women do far more often. Statistically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because the whole cruise thing is very unique in this, in the sense of, the laws around crew, who owns this area yeah. when you're in the middle of the fucking ocean, right? Whose law enforcement needs yeah. to come in and deal with this. You know, it's very it gets gray. really dicey. And you know? so it's like, what more perfect opportunity than to do something when you're literally on a ship in the middle of the yep. ocean and law enforcement is going to be limited. Right. And they're going to yep. be limited. It is weird though, Josh, that you mentioned, why don't they have cameras? It makes me think yeah. like maybe they purposely didn't have cameras for as long as they could get away with it. I'm assuming they have cameras now. Or maybe they had cameras but, and they searched them and there wasn't, you would think they're they just would, not on any of the spots that Amy was. You would think that would be like reported on though or something. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure if there was, was, the FBI probably reviewed yeah. it. But again, like it was probably in like one area of the ship yeah. or something. Yeah. I doubt it was blanketing yeah, all right. of the exits, all of the. Yeah. It was just pure luck that Chris had happened to be you know, recording them on the dance floor and mm-hmm. got footage of her with yellow was able to confirm that he was with her that mm-hmm. night. And that was a huge part of this. Yeah. Yeah. CCTV became common in the mid 1990s. But again, I mean, even with CCTV and you get those still frames, it's so hard to make out. Like we're not the, the level of clarity in those images yeah. would probably be really hard even. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they dressed her up as a crew member. That's a great point. They, they could have, have grabbed a crew member uniform they for a female have. and put it on her and yep. just walked right. right off the boat together. And if you have been drugged with GHB, yeah, that's easy to do. Dress someone you're like up like a there. zombie. Yeah, yeah, you're basically Definitely. like a walking zombie. Yeah. Mm. You gotta yeah. be really careful about drinks too and who you're taking drinks from, taking drinks from someone you don't know. I would just completely stay away from that. Obviously, you want to meet other people and Amy was young and excited and wanted to get to know other people, but... Yeah, and it's just so scary. I just feel about. so bad for Brad. Man. I do too. Brad's got, I mean, as her brother and like. They were so close. So like best friends. 
and just like protect her like that's yeah. like you know your job as like the brother to take care of your sister yeah and- we were watching the latest um investigation discovery episode on this last night and i just started tearing up hearing brad talk about how grateful he was for the years that he did get to have her but how heartbroken they are to not have her anymore i just truly can't imagine 20 years of this mm-hmm. it would be so frustrating and, and at this point it's like they just want to know they just yeah. want whether she's alive or or yeah. dead they just want to know what happened to yeah. live with this uncertainty of what happened to our our loved one is just the hardest it's got to yeah. be the hardest thing to deal with and it's so yeah. frustrating because if which i think is kind of unlikely the least likely scenario but if for some reason she did go overboard dead or alive and she's in you know she's in the ocean like they will never know no nope. they, they will, will never, never know. know i mean chances are with how long has gone by they probably won't ever know which i just can't imagine how you go forward in your life at all Mm -hmm. or do anything ever again it's just so heartbreaking it's really hard the fbi is still uh, i mean it's still showing up as a something you know a case that they're investigating at this point again they have the missing flyers we'll link all the information for for tips uh, regarding amy bradley but we will go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Yeah, we definitely want to hear your theories of yes. what you think could have happened. Yeah, maybe there's some others out there that we didn't cover, but definitely let us know in the comments. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. But we will see you guys next week. Yes, and until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher. Hey.